This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leaders voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. Good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. This weekend, we are delighted and honored to welcome two great champions of liberty, free enterprise, and the rule of law. These two principal leaders have sacrificed considerable time and their dedicated service to our nation has made a profound impact. We are truly honored to welcome former U.S. Senator Jim DeMint and former White House Chief of Staff and former U.S. Congressman Mark Meadows. Gentlemen, a good morning to both of you and welcome to America's Roundtable. Welcome. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you both and obviously to all those that have tuned in, the the freedom-loving, Israel-loving people that are tuned in today and look forward to sharing some thoughts with you. You know, the Senator, you know, to get the Senator on here is, is a big deal so kudos to you for being able to pull him in (laughs) Uh, uh, mark is uh, too kind but uh, i'm always honored to be with you too and you have a great show so let's get started Absolutely. Well, (laughs) Senator DeMint and also Chief Meadows, this past week we reflected on the second anniversary of the signing of the Abraham Accords, a historic breakthrough for peace in the Middle East and the world. And on September 15, 2020, at the White House, President Donald Trump led leaders from Bahrain, Israel, and the United Arab Emirates in signing the Abraham Accords. In fact, On America's Roundtable, Ambassador David Friedman shared that it was a two-star U.S. Army General Miguel Correa, a Christian and a Trump administration official who coined the term and the name Abram Accords, knitting together the three Abrahamic faiths, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. And this is such a positive story as we were just talking about it a few moments ago. And the results show that trade between the UAE and Israel is expected to reach more than $2 billion in 2022. Natasha and I visited UAE and saw several Israeli business leaders working on business deals in Dubai. And a few weeks ago in Israel, we found out that the buzz was about Israel's trade with Bahrain and the UAE. Chief Meadows, as chief of staff to President Trump and a key participant in seeing the Abram Accords becoming a reality, what were your impressions? You were there on the front row, seat to history, and could you share with us what you saw in those final moments leading up to the Abram Accords? Well, it's it's interesting, Joel, that you talk about the final moments because this was uh, obviously a lot of work, a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, uh, Jared Kushner and uh, Avi Berkowitz and uh, so many people at the State Department. Uh, you mentioned Ambassador Friedman and his comments. Real patriots who are peace-loving, uh, freedom-loving, but 
pioneers as well. And and I think for me, uh, I, I did have a front row seat, was was able to sit there on the South Lawn to watch this historic event. A lot of us didn't have the the belief that it would ever come. And uh, and and yet, uh, uh, when you when you actually invest the amount of time that you do trying to make sure that relationships and relations uh, are normalized, uh, the the fruit is, is very obvious. I, I can tell you, I was uh, visiting Israel and 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 saw a, a business where Jews and Palestinians working side by side for the mutual benefit of a company and and prospering, and yet there was not a much of the political rhetoric and the differences as they came together and normalized those relationships. And so uh, as we celebrate the second anniversary, sadly, uh, it's not getting the attention that it should. Uh, I think with bold leadership in Washington, D.C., we'll be able to see it. But I just want to give a shout out to the two of you for covering this as an important issue and to all the men and women that were involved in the negotiations. when you do something that's truly historic, uh, you have a lot of people that are suggesting when you embark on that, that that you are wasting your time. And yet they believed in spite of that, uh, that we could have a better world and a better uh, situation in the Middle East. And uh, over the last two years, we've seen that even with the addition of additional countries from that uh, wonderful day in 2020, uh, where the initial accord was assigned. And Senator DeMint, uh, your reaction when you heard of the historic breakthrough as you were involved in the U.S. Senate, serving on the U.S. Senate Foreign Relations Committee and advancing principled solutions, the peace through strength endeavor. Well, I was obviously excited about it because I've heard about Middle East peace my entire life, and and none of it's been very real or lasting. Most of it was just based on a political or military detente. Uh, But these accords were based on real economics and energy and, and cooperation that creates prosperity, and that's the only way you're ultimately going to have peace is is if there's a prosperity and people working together. So while this agreement began between Israel and and the Arab Emirates, uh, it is now beginning to take in um, um, Egypt, Sudan, Bahrain, others, and it it creates the potential of energy that's not only for the Middle East, but that can be exported uh, to Europe at a time when they really need it, where Israel can provide water to Jordan and Jordan can provide uh, solar farms. There's so much potential here and and it's really working. I mean, Joel and, and Natasha were just there, and and it's it's really working. But I worry that there's so many interests in in it not working uh, because war is a business for for many of the terrorists, and I think much of the world um, to to have conflict in the Middle East. So um, I'm worried with the Biden administration and their weakness. And the lack of reporting on this just shows you that they do not appreciate the potential here of not only what could happen in the Middle East, but how that could spread in Europe and what it could do for all of Africa. Um, so, uh, again, uh, an incredible accomplishment that I didn't think would happen. Uh, you can see now that the, the administration is not even hardly talking about the second anniversary of this. I just hope it can hold together until we can get 
a good pro-American and pro-Israel administration in place. And Chief Meadows, in your book, The Chief of Chiefs, you wrote, and I quote, the media and even some conservatives believe that if professional politicians, many of whom had made it their life's work to achieve peace, couldn't get it done, then how were a businessman from New York and his son-in-law ever going to do it? Unquote. <laughs> uh, well, Chief Meadows, you and Senator Dement and a great number of others came from the private sector, and you were outsiders to Washington, D.C., and what are your thoughts leading to this quote that you just shared in your book? Well, I can tell you that when you have uh, a, a president uh, in President Trump who was willing to look at a number of situations, which most people would think would be impossible, uh, even with this one, when uh, he and Jared had kind of taken this on. Uh, listen, uh, Senator DeMint was exactly right. I've been on Capitol Hill. I've heard uh, about a peace deal coming as as both you, uh, Joel, and Natasha have heard for decades. And, and uh, there's a, a living to be made of promising peace and delivering nothing and uh and yet when when they both embarked on it uh it started to become very very real uh in in the summer of 2020 and uh and what we've seen now is is not just with uh, the UAE and Bahrain, who uh, were part of that initial signing ceremony. But we're starting to see, uh, obviously, the addition of Morocco before we, we left. But, but here's the key, and, and let me point this out. This is, this is an agreement between countries that is much bigger and much greater than President Trump and, and Jared Kushner and Mike Pompeo and those that were involved in the negotiations. It's much bigger than that. And if we allow it to just say, well, that was part of the Trump administration, we need to go out and do something different. I think we're making a very, very big mistake. What we need to do is add to this uh, accord, uh, to the uh, Abraham Accord, add additional countries, start to to show uh, the advantage of it, both from a peace point of view and from an economic point of view. Those normal relations will allow us to have a more peaceful uh, setting in the Middle East uh, because they're shared interests, not just for peace but for prosperity to the extent that we can get th this administration and future administrations uh, to embrace it and start to put pressure on on countries to come into that uh, it becomes a much stronger agreement and and uh, I didn't think it would happen uh, you know it was one of those things uh, you you want to give the whole good college try as they would say candidly uh, I was advocating early on for moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and that was one that I had been disappointed many years uh, in a row as well. So these are two great victories for freedom and for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people, uh, and I might add, uh, all of those in the Middle East, because it's, it's bringing peace and prosperity. It's truly a win-win 
uh, initiative, and we're seeing the real results of all of this here. Chief Meadows and Senator Demand, what I can share with you from our recent visit to Israel is that people are truly grateful and thankful that U.S. principal leadership made a difference in their lives and in their lifetime. And we hope, and as you suggested, Chief Meadows, that it would just broaden and more countries would come in uh, to this Abram Accords uh, peace agreement. Senator De Mint, uh, America's economy contracted for two consecutive quarters in 2022, and our GDP, gross domestic product, fell by 1.6% in the first quarter, followed by 0.9% in the second, which is among economists a widely accepted definition of a recession. Uh, furthermore, inflation is hurting American families. Uh, the annual inflation in August was at 8.3%, uh, but the core inflation, which excludes energy and food prices increased by 6.3% in August compared to 5.9% earlier. Uh, Senator DeMint, what is your message to our fellow Americans who are worried about the current state of the U.S. economy and what would be your policy recommendations in order to get back to steady growth and low inflation? Well, I'm hoping Americans can connect the dots here to see the difference in policies of the Biden administration and what it's done to our economy and inflation, which inflation just means the, the decline in the value of the dollar. Uh, people need to learn so they can vote correctly. But Donald Trump's policies clearly improve the economy, not just for one class of people, but for every American. And, and, and took out government regulations in a way that inflation stayed low during his whole term, even, even though the economy was going well. Um, and, and this really hurts all classes of people, but particularly seniors who might have some savings. Um, th the value of what they saved is, is going down 8 or 10% a year, um, which is very significant uh, over a period of uh, four or five years. I mean, it, it can cut the value of what you have in savings uh, in half. This is much more serious than I think even Americans realize. And we have, unfortunately, the Biden administration celebrating that maybe it's not quite as bad this month as it was last month, but we still lost over 8% of the value of our, our dollars. So uh, policies matter and politicians matter. And, and I'm just hoping Americans can see through the real lies in the media because uh, you know, I was um, somewhere, I guess I was in a restaurant last night where they had five or six screens up. You had Fox in the far right corner and all these other networks up. And none of them were saying anything about uh, inflation, about Abraham Accords, about anything that really matters or, or the border crisis. It was all going after Trump investigations and things, um, you know, almost two years after he's out of office. So I worry that the American people are not getting the truth. They certainly know that things cost more. Uh, but I saw kind of interviews in Philadelphia this morning on, on the news that, well, they didn't blame Biden. If they don't blame Biden, they're not paying attention, and, and that um, really doesn't make sense for how you vote. <laughs> right. Uh, Chief, Chief Meadows, in order to tame inflation that they caused in the first place, uh, Fed has been increasing its benchmark interest rate and consequently has led to high mortgage rates and increasing interest rate on credit cards. And uh, Now, primary mortgage market survey released by Freddie Mac this past week shows that the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage climbed to 0.2% compared to 5.89% last week and 2.86% a year ago. So the mortgage rates more than doubled 
in one year. And this is the first time mortgage rates exceeded 6% since the financial crisis in 2008. Uh, Congressman Meadows, um, with sharp home price increase during the COVID pandemic period, stagnating incomes, and now high mortgage rates, home ownership, which is one of the hallmarks of the American dream, is becoming unattainable for many. What is your message to a new generation of American families who want to purchase a new home? Well, Natasha, you and Joel uh, probably are too young to remember this, but I've got enough gray hair where I can remember the days of Jimmy Carter. And and not only did we have double-digit inflation, but we had double-digit interest rates. We had uh, gas lines. I, I can remember if your, your tag, your license tag had an odd number, you got to go on the odd days. If it ended in an odd number, if it ended in an even number, you got to go on the even days. And even with that, there were long lines. And so uh, part of this fundamentally uh, is is an energy crisis. And and we went from energy dominance to uh, energy beggars in uh, less than 24 months. And so we've, we've got to get that for the core inflation to actually come down. Uh, obviously, the Biden administration and Treasury Secretary uh, Yellen both said that this inflation was transitory and, and not here. Well, uh, we knew when we heard that that, that was not correct. Correct. You're seeing, as you mentioned, 6% interest rates. To give you a perspective, I, I know uh, my uh, son and daughter both purchased homes within the last two or three years, and their interest rates are, are less than 3%. And so as we look at that, you know, I was talking to them just the other day, uh, a lot of their friends have now not only been priced out of the market because of, of that, but the, the mortgage, you know, with each interest rate uh, point increase, uh, uh, it becomes less affordable. Now, here's here's the the bad news, and then I'll give you the good news. The bad news is is for those that are tuned in, and, and what should we do? The bad news is is that uh, until these higher interest rates, uh, it's a crude tool that takes a long time, and it does slow down the economy. You mentioned uh, two consecutive quarters. I think we'll see a lot more of that in in the next twelve months because of the interest rate hike and what will ultimately happen with energy costs. I think they're going to go back up, not uh, continue to come down. Uh, so the bad news is is that it will start to uh, really put a damper on the housing market. Uh, unfortunately, we will see uh, jobs, um, the job market start to reflect that it hasn't today. But here's the good news for those that are listening in. Uh, America is resilient, and what we know is, is that we have faced more difficult times than this in the past, and and elections have consequences. Uh, I can remember gas prices being extremely high uh, when uh, Donald Trump was just uh, in office for the first year or so, and he said, "Well, I'm going to bring them down," and nobody believed it. And and uh, you and I both know that even at one particular time, uh, oil prices went and dipped down uh, below zero uh, because we had so much oil during the the COVID pandemic. Here's what we need to do is we need to have a sound energy policy that is not based on woke leftist policy. We need to have uh, a, a free market that truly allows, as Senator DeMint was talking about, truly allows us to uh, allow those seniors and those that are, are perhaps just getting started or on fixed incomes to allow the, the money that they have to go further. Uh, you know, as we've started to see this, uh, I think as 
as interest rates will continue to, to uh, bump up, we may see mortgage rates in the seven to seven and a half percent rate. I do think that they will, will start to adjust down once we start seeing the housing market and the food uh, market uh, return to some levels of normalcy. But uh, it is a sad time because it is leftist policies that have created this particular situation. you got a choice in government. You can either grow the size of government or grow the size of individuals' bank accounts and, and individuals' home ownership. Uh, this administration chose to, to really grow the size of government, sadly. Senator DeMint and Chief uh, Meadows, we recently hosted Judge Henry Saad, who served as Chief Judge of the Michigan Court of Appeals. And he relayed that one of America's greatest threats was the open-door policy and the unsecured U.S. southern border. He raised concerns that the Biden administration was undermining the rule of law and creating chaos across the country. And this lawless approach, as we all know, is fueling crime and also bringing in huge profits to cartels uh, through the illicit and immoral schemes of human trafficking. Uh, We found out even through the New York Times that stated that uh, a figure uh, from the Homeland Security data and court filings are that from 150 countries, People are pouring into our nation. Uh, Senator DeMint, what are your thoughts about this crisis and how important are the November elections for America's future? Unfortunately, our our border crisis is an intentional policy of the Biden administration, of the left, and of the Democrat Party. And we've seen it for years that they've been for amnesty, they've been for open borders, they were against what... um, President Trump was doing to secure the border. They did everything they could to keep from funding the wall and border security. Uh, and there, there's purely political motives here. And, and I know this sounds cynical, but I've been on uh, immigration committees with, with Democrats in the Senate. I've heard them talk about it. Um, you know, their goal is, is to flood the country with the illegals, do everything they can to sign them up for benefits, uh, to uh, turn them over to very liberal nonprofit um, agencies that help them get integrated in the community, but at the same time get registered to vote, even uh, if, if they're not a citizen. But they're already talking here in Washington about amnesty and citizenship for those who are here illegally. And with this new wave of illegals, we probably have uh, nearly 20 million people who are in this country who are undocumented, illegal, whatever we want to call them. But the the Democrats' goal is for these people to be voting uh, and for them to be dependent on the government so that they can be manipulated. So it's a very cynical strategy. It's, It's not compassionate. No one could make a logical case that this is compassionate to the people who are coming. Hundreds have been killed, but also hundreds of thousands of Americans have been killed with the drugs that are smuggled in. Um, And it it is a real catastrophe that is underreported by the leftist media in this country. And I'm afraid too many Americans are just not knowledgeable of what this is going to do to affect their future. And Chief Meadows, as you travel across America, what has been your message to our fellow Americans in what they can do to advance principal solutions uh, to our country's crisis, uh, such as the immigration crisis? 
Well, one, they, they need to speak of it and, and highlight it in their local communities. And, and one of the great things, uh, Joel, for you and Natasha in, in bringing these issues to the forefront, uh, even today is the fact that people that are listening and tuned in, they can start to speak about it. Because what we do oftentimes, uh, when we, we look at things, you know, they say, well, there, you know, there's a couple of things you don't talk about religion and, and politics. And so we self-censor ourselves to be quiet and and uh, we may get in a, a gathering and we don't know the political persuasion of of the person that's sitting next to us or across the table from us and so we remain quiet uh, our country uh, is is a nation that's founded on laws and and sadly what we're seeing with the border in particular is that a lot of the policies that President Trump put in place have been either ignored or reversed uh, by this administration. The second part of that is they create a situation where uh, we've got people coming across the border and we hold them to a different standard. Uh, you know, we, we create sanctuary states and sanctuary cities. And uh, as Senator DeMitt was talking about, the motives for that uh, generally are not uh, pure. Those motives uh, either are rooted in politics or rooted in votes or rooted in uh, truly trying to change the demographic makeup. Uh, but that's coming, uh, coming home to to hurt some of my Democrat uh, friends that I used to serve with, because what we're finding is people who have come here legally the, and maybe from the very same countries that um, some of these people are coming from uh, that are coming here illegally, they resent the fact that they did it the right way and others are being allowed to come in the wrong way. And so uh, I think we, one, have to speak up. The second thing that we have to do is make sure uh, that everybody gets the message. You know, you've seen recently with uh, some of the governors of southern states uh, actually sending plane loads and bus loads of of, uh, people who have come here uh, uh, illegally to some of these cities that are sanctuary cities and states. Well, they haven't been able to receive the warm welcome that that perhaps uh, you know these mayors and governors have suggested all along. And so, showing the hypocrisy of of what uh, this leftist policy is all about is important as well. And and staying engaged. So, if you're listening today. Make sure that your voice is heard, your vo vote is counted, and bluntly that you uh, are are willing to speak up. You mentioned reversal of policies, uh, uh, Congressman Meadows, and I just wanted to ask you, um, in one of your earlier published pieces, you described how President Donald Trump scaled back our out-of-control regulatory state. And you mentioned how the expansion of regulations, some 229 major regulations since 2009, at a cost of $108 billion annually, has led to increased taxes, declining labor participation rates, and a skyrocketing debt. And you actually, Congressman Meadows, introduced a bill to codify Trump's directive, whereby he required two existing regulations to be eliminated for each new federal regulation implemented. So that bill would establish a system, your bill, for easing old regulations off the books and requiring agencies to pursue smarter, more efficient regulatory actions. Could you kindly share with the listeners about the results accomplished and what has been done since during the Biden administration? 
<laughs> well, Natasha, you've done your homework. I'm impressed that you uh, were able to find that particular bill and uh, be able to articulate that so effectively. Uh, you know, the President Trump did a good job in saying that if we're going to add one new regulation, we need to get rid of two of them. And uh, it has not been done since the days of Ronald Reagan, where we actually reduced the size of the administrative state. And, and by that, it, it's essentially every Every, every single time they do a new regulation, it, it adds cost to uh, people on Main Street doing business. It adds cost to uh, the federal government doing business. But it's normally a barrier to entering in. And so I, I would say that there's two things that should be done. One, we need we do need to codify the two-for-one that says if we're going to add a new regulation, then we need to get rid of two of those. Uh, President Trump uh, did a great job of, uh, as you mentioned, uh, doing exactly that. We also need to put in uh, what I would call is a sunset provision. That says, all right, if you've, if you've got a, a new law that has come into place, uh, you can make federal regulations, uh, as it pertains to that law for a period of three to five years. After that, there are no new regulations that can come because what, what we're seeing is so many of these regulations that have been job killing, uh, inflation creating initiatives actually are based on laws that were passed two, three decades ago. You know, we see the Clean Water and Clean Air Act. Both of those continue to get regulations made each and every day. So we need to, to do a sunset provision on that. We do the codify the two for one. And when we start reducing regulations, what we'll see is businesses will prosper. I talked to one emerging country ambassador and, uh, you know, the average time to get a new company up and rolling in the United States is months, if not years. I talked to this new country and said, well, how quickly can you set up a, a you know, a, a good business to, to do something on a significant basis in your, in your country? He says, well, we can do it in 48 hours. And he almost apologized for it. He says, but we're trying to reduce the regulations so they can be done in less than a day. Those are the kind of things that we need right. to do. Absolutely. Right. Senator uh, DeMint, you and your leadership partner, Chief Meadows, are filling an important void in Washington, D.C. through the Conservative Partnership Institute. And could you share with our engaged listeners your mission and vision and how our fellow Americans who deeply care about this nation and its future can get involved? Thank you, Joel, for mentioning the Conservative Partnership, and we affectionately call it CPI here in Washington. Uh, everyone around the country, at least conservatives, ask, what happens to good people when they come to Washington? And I've seen in my time in the House and the Senate, and so has Chief Meadows, that good people come up here with bold ideas and seem to have a lot of courage, but the system just beats them up because there's no support, there's no reward. For doing the right thing. There is no support for taking a vote that slows the growth of spending in Washington. You would think there would be, but they actually punish you. The, the culture is punishing to conservatives. The conservative partnership was set up to support conservatives here in Washington. Everything from helping them get good staff to training them on how the place works, parliamentary procedures, so that they, they know how to actually get things done. We get the conservative movement united around the right ideas so that when members of Congress champion the right ideas, that they have support from all over the country. And we offer a location where they can come and meet 
and be together and have camaraderie. Um, the Freedom Caucus, as well as the, the Conservative Caucus in the Senate meets in, in our building. And we have a media studio that, that you've seen that they can use. So our whole job is to build, unite, and support the conservative movement, which we're more and more calling the American movement, because that's really what it is. Uh, and there's no group like it. We're not competing with anyone else. We're not a think tank, and we're not a political group. We're a support system to, to build an American movement in America. Your final thoughts, uh, Chief Meadows? Well, I want to thank uh, Joel, you, and Natasha for uh, the insightful questions uh, and, and kind of piggyback on what Senator DeMint just said. Uh, here at CPI, you know, we're a 501c3. We're here to support the, the freedom-loving members of uh, both the House and the Senate to do the right thing and to make sure that they have the courage. And so my final thought is this. Uh, if you're tuned in today, uh, we would we would love to uh, make sure your voice is heard. Have the courage to speak up and uh, continue to take these issues uh, into the public square, into your community, into your churches and synagogues. Uh, we want to make sure that your voice is heard. And the other is, is finally this, is, is that when your voice is heard, ultimately uh that courage is contagious and so uh as as you uh embark on making sure that our america is a better america not only for us but for israel for uh all people of of this uh uh world we have the the privilege to to live in Make sure that the courage of doing the right thing at the right time is uh, ever present. So thank you both. This week on America's Roundtable, we are truly honored to have two great champions of liberty, free enterprise, and the rule of law, Senator Jim DeMint and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. Thank you so much. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lanza Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leaders Leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.